everyone, and welcome to Nice Jewish Fangirls, presented by JewishCoffeeHouse.com. Nice Jewish Fangirls is a podcast where three Jewish women discuss all of the things, all of the fandom things that we are obsessed with. My name is Michal Schick. I'm your host. I'm joined by my co-hosts, S.M. Rosenberg. Hello. And Tamar Herman. Hello. How you doing, guys? I'm good. How about you? I'm pretty good. I just watched some screeners for a show Ooh, that I'm not going to talk about. but. <laughs> I'll Is probably really talk about it sometime later. I don't know if I'm allowed to or not, but I feel like discretion is is warranted, perhaps. You were discretion advised. Yes, <laughs> in this case, definitely. <laughs> um, cool. So let's get into our current obsessions, which I do have. I do have one. Uh, we had a, some minor technical difficulties right there. But um, I am currently kind of obsessed with this book called Strange the Dreamer, which I got um, an advanced copy of. It's by Lainey, Lainey Taylor, who wrote the Daughter of Smoke and Bone trilogy, which is just one of the most interesting and beautifully written YA series out there. So she has a new series called Strange the Dreamer out. It's a duology, which is great because I prefer duologies to trilogies personally and it's just as interesting and mind-bending and weird and beautifully written as um, Daughter of a Smoke and Bone so that has been a lot of fun to kind of explore like I find that her books you can't just like just pick it up and casually like read it you have to kind of like dive in and so that's been it's it's always an adventure you kind of go to a different place with that sm what is your current obsession okay mine is a little different but last week i did baseball so this week i might as well do makeup and cosmetics because i recently discovered um this brand called ColourPop. it's spelled like the british color pop is one word (laughs) and in my head, I always pronounce it color pop, even though it's it's color pop. Um, and they have all kinds. Of, they're like an internet only brand um, that is very popular among, I guess, certain YouTube communities. Uh, and they spread the word. And I found out about it through a Facebook group. And then I figured, hey, I might as well try it out. And I ordered all a while ago. And then I made a second order because I was very pleased with the first order, and I got this week, um, because there was a Valentine's Day special that meant that, uh, I think it it was $15 of certain Valentine's Day products, and if you had, if you ordered $15, rather than their usual $30, you would get free shipping, as long as you ordered $15 worth of those items. Um, So... Yeah, I didn't technically need the things that I bought, but they were there and they looked pretty, so I bought them. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, one of the things I'm very excited about is this. I got this red, very red cream blush, and it's very intense. Um, but it's it's not specifically blush. It's just it's called I think Super Shock Pigment. So it's just a it's a pigment and you can use it as a blush. You can use it as an eyeshadow. You can use it, um, as a lip stain. Um, and it's really red and really intense. And I have to figure out how to apply it to my skin so that I do not look like a clown, but as a lipstick, I'm very happy with it. And one of my more, uh, more experienced makeup friends told me that I should try using a beauty blender to put it on so that it's it gets more subtle and more diffused instead of um, just like, yeah, there's like this huge blot of pink and then I was like, okay, I'm gonna like put some lighter uh, powder over it and try to mute that effect. Um, so yeah, um, and it's called, they have these funny names for all of their things that aren't like particularly sexy but they just I guess they give it a distinct you know distinctive kind of thing is that like this the blush was called baby talk and the uh I got a green eyeliner from them that was called teaspoon like there's nothing sexy about that but it's just that way pretty sure it's a it's a good defense against people stealing your brand names because no one's gonna name their other stuff that stuff because <laughs> whatever I don't know 
I don't know how they picked these names. I feel like they just, you know, threw some things into a, you know, into a hat and they pulled out some names. I like their colors and I do recommend most of their products that I have tried so far. So uh, I'm, I'm actually going to upset you for a second. I do know, know. what color pop is. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty... I'm not really makeup savvy, but I like skincare and I do follow like makeup trends pretty closely to see what's going on because I write about skincare sometimes and makeup and skincare go together. Um, do you remember a few months ago when I asked if anybody would be open to buying some Kylie Jenner lipstick and you signed up and you, you got the color with me? Yes, I still so use that, it. It is phenomenal. It's phenomenal and apparently it's a pretty close formula to ColourPop to the degree where people found out that they're made in the same factory, I think. <laughs> well, and Kylie I mean, ColourPop stuff... is a... They have a number of different formulas because like the yeah yeah the the color pop lip lip glosses that i've gotten um the lipsticks they they've been nothing like the um the kylie jenner one the kylie jenner one is very it's it's like perma lipstick you just you you put it on and like once it dries it's like it's on all day it's and doesn't smudge <laughs> yeah um yeah no and it costs 17 dollars but like yeah worth every penny um okay. <laughs> but yeah, very vibrant color. But um, the ColourPop ones that I've gotten, they've so far they're they're you know they smudge like normal, and they you know they last probably better than you know some other glosses and lipsticks that I've tried. But um, they're not made the same way. Um, I think they they do have different formulas even among their lip glosses. Like there are certain items on clearance that I've seen that like people will come. I've seen the reviews that are like, yeah, don't buy this. I don't know what went wrong here, but this is nothing like their other lip glosses. It, you know, it doesn't stick. It's very dry. It's everything is terrible. Um, So, yeah, I don't know about the intricacies of makeup companies and how they come up with their formulas and why some colors are different formulas than other colors. Um, But yeah, they're not the same. I just pulled up. They're both uh, manufactured by Seed Beauty. I just pulled up the Buzz, BuzzFeed article about it. So, like, huh. they they have very similar layout. For one of the glosses, like, ColourPop has a, a much larger selection than Kylie does. But that yeah, color was sure. phenomenal, and it lasted so long. <laughs> yeah, I got this bright, bright red one, and it's like, oh, man. Yeah, it's great. I, I got a more muted pink, and I was kind of jealous of your red. <laughs> Yeah, well, it works well with my my skin color seems to adapt to whatever colors I have so far chosen to experiment with. So I'm very happy with how versatile my complexion seems to be. Uh, So I'm looking at the article now. And yeah, and it says that there's a particular kind of lipstick formula that they make the ultra matte. So far, I've I've gotten their um, like super glossy and super metallic but I have not I don't think I've gotten any of their matte lipsticks so I will have to compare to see um how they how they stack up that's not obviously ColourPop is much cheaper well so 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 what I was gonna say is that um yeah I mean that's not at all uncommon like a lot of makeup companies I, I I do consider myself something of a makeup geek and you know depending on who owns what company you can get almost identical products in the drugstore sometimes that like Yeah, there's a lot of comparisons. Yeah. Dupes as they're called in the in the biz. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I feel like at some point we should have an episode about makeup because I adore makeup and I thought for sure you were gonna talk about like Harry Potter makeup or something. <laughs> Who me? No. Uh oh. So. <laughs> oh I there's there's a brand that came out a while back with like Star Trek themed makeup I think, but it was super expensive and I wasn't gonna buy any of it. But I just like that it exists. Well, one of my favorite things that I bought um, was um, I think it was the CoverGirl. Um, they had a Star Wars line of of makeup, so and it was really hard to find here for some reason. It just like didn't come to New York. And then like a while after The Force Awakens came out, I finally got my hands on one of the mascaras and I got it with the luminous beings we are not this crude matter quote and I just love that and think it's awesome. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. Um, Damar, so what are you currently obsessed with? I am currently binging after reading the first book of Outlander. 
Um, I am a big romance novel person, and I like fantasy, and I like epic fantasy. So I don't really know why I was so reluctant to start reading the books until now. But I was at a friend's uh, over shop a few weeks ago, and I was looking through her bookshelf. And I picked it up, and I borrowed it, and I finally got around to reading it this Shabbos. I see why people like it. I don't know how much I like it. I've been told that I need to keep reading. Uh, the show's pretty well done because I'm literally watching the show like the day after I read the book. This is really embarrassing to admit because it's Tuesday, and I finished the book Mose Shabbos. But <laughs> I'm already five episodes in. <laughs> five oh, that's not so bad. I don't know i watch shows slowly i guess um that's six hours of my life between saturday night and sunday that i've already lost to tv but yeah so i'm, I'm not gonna go into the second season until i get the second book i the show is pretty closely linked to the book so far and the the writer is like a main uh collaborator on the show so i don't want to spoil anything for myself i was i was quite a bit surprised not by actually what the story was about like it's about a woman who fall like travels to the past and falls in love with a Highlander. Like, okay, pretty straightforward, and it's history and whatever. But it's it's pretty dark and there's quite a lot of abuse uh, between the the main couple. And I I didn't know how I felt about that. And so I don't really know if I'm gonna keep reading past the like second or third book just because if I'm not into it by that point, I'll be surprised. But people are like really into this, and the whole time all I could think was. You guys clearly need to read more romance novels if you think that this is, like, what a good romance novel is. Because this is just, like, a horrible relationship. Like, literally, there's one point where I don't want to spoil it. Um, because someone commented on one of our... our, our uh, hey, horrible relationships are all the rage nowadays. I mean, didn't well, Fifty I mean, Shades yeah, just To be that, fair, right? this yeah. was written in, what, like, 1990? Yeah, and it's not like Fifty Shades where, like, they're supposed to be horrible. There is There are scenes where, like, he has to, like, beat her be to, like, prove to, like, the rest of his Scottish friends that he's not a wimp or whatever. It's really problematic to me. A little but, bit. But in the book, it makes sense. And if it was Game of Thrones, I probably wouldn't even flinch because this is Game of Thrones. But because they're selling this as a romance novel, not necessarily an epic fantasy, it's it's very clearly not an epic fantasy. Like, it's it's a romance novel. So I have a problem with that. And then there's other scenes where this is clearly not a healthy relationship whatsoever. But then there's some moments where you're like, oh. So I don't know how I feel yet. But yeah, I'm currently binging and both books and TV Outlander. So... I'll probably come back to this eventually. The reason I'm interested in the show, even though I haven't actually seen it, um, is because from what I hear, it's very like female gaze oriented into, you know, the main character's perspective and not like what what the guys are seeing and portraying things from like a male point of view, which. Yeah. Um, she's the narrator and there's like, there are some scenes like it's stars. So there's definitely like more female nudity than male nudity, but um there's a lot of like gratuitous like posing from like the main guy and it's really wonderful <laughs> <laughs> like it's definitely for women like when like there's only been a few like sex scenes so far and like those have been like whatever okay fine but there's regular moments throughout in the book the, the show is pretty much taken not word for word, but some words. There's, there are quite a lot of quotes directly from the book, which is surprising. Um, but, like, the scenes pretty much follow the book. And in the book also, like, there's a lot of instances where, like, the main guy is just running around with his shirt off. But because this is the 18th century, like, she's not wearing anything scantily clad. She is wearing quite a tight corset, which I don't think would have worked with in that time period. But whatever. I don't know. Most of the point of going back in time is for the costumes. It's cool <laughs> costumes. I know in the next season they they end up in France, and I think they go to Versailles because I saw the poster. Uh, so that's exciting. Yeah, the costumes uh, for that. There were like articles written about the yeah, costumes. It was there's, really cool. There's one dress in particular that got quite a bit of buzz, as I recall. I'm like, totally. Yeah, I saw it a few months ago, but I wasn't into the book. So now, like, I have to re-internalize everything I was reading about the show. Um, I, I, I guess I, I'm enjoying it enough that I keep watching it. I'm not as attentive to it as I usually am when I'm watching a show. Like, I'm sitting there, like, texting or writing articles while I watch. But that's probably just because I literally just read the book 
a few days ago, and there's very little that diverges from it. Um, there's one or two things, but it's pretty much pretty much the same, which is nice for for an adaptation. Adaptation. I like having adapt- shows that that don't require my you know entire concentration, so that I can do other things. Because I get I get a lot of stuff done while watching TV. I get nothing done while watching TV. Um, You're like crafting. Um, I usually sometimes I like cook while I watch TV, but. Most of the time, I end up watching uh, TV with subtitles, so it's kind of rare for me. Not oh, yeah, that, that would be hard, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so far, it's... I don't know if it's enjoyable, but I'm definitely obsessed with it. And I, I can't, like, <laughs> turn away, and I'm going to Toronto this weekend, so I'm probably going to bring the next book with me if I can get my hands on it by then. Um, maybe the next two, because Toronto's kind of boring. <laughs> Sorry, everyone in Toronto. I'm going to visit family, not friends. Alas, hearts break all over Canada. I just don't want anyone to feel offended that I'm insulting it, but like going to my aunt's house isn't the most thrilling time. Uh, okay, cool. So those are our current obsessions. And as advertised, uh, this, this week we're going to be discussing Wishful Drinking by Carrie Fisher, which is... Which number book is it? It's sort of her memoir-ish. She has I think it's other... her first memoir. Yeah. And her second? Her second one, I thought, is The Princess Diarist. Yeah. And this is her first memoir. She's written novels before she had written this, but this, I think, is her first autobiographical work. I don't know why I thought Postcards from the Edge was biographical, but it's not. That, well, it... I think it did draw on a lot of her experience, but I, I'm pretty sure it was fiction. Yeah, it's a uh, fictionalized... Wikipedia says semi-autobiographical. Yeah. That that tricky term. <laughs> yeah, no, she says at one point in Wishful Drinking that, like, yeah, I went to rehab to do research for my book, and then you turn the page, and it's the next chapter, and she's like, okay, no, I'm a drug addict. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, diving right in, um, how did you guys feel about this book? I mean, I'd, I'd heard a lot about it, and I remember when it came out and when Carrie was doing her show, um, which I probably will. I think it's on um, on HBO. Um, mm-hmm. You can watch her stage show, so I'll probably watch that soon. But, yeah, I, I always felt like I, I, I didn't want to get that personal with her. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, and this book is very, very, very personal. But it turned out I was really glad that I read it. I, I laughed aloud. A whole bunch of times um so tamar what were your reactions what were your anticipations i guess and what how did you feel about the book uh so i kind of knew that she was pretty uh i don't want to say this wrong um i knew that she had a hard life and that she was kind of crazy because of it um i know i knew a lot about um uh, Edie Fisher and uh, Debbie Reynolds and their relationship and like Elizabeth Taylor my mom's a big fan so I like grew up kind of knowing about that drama uh, but it was I didn't I knew that I always knew that she was a mental health um, awareness advocate but I never kind of knew to the extent that it shaped her life I didn't really like when it opens up like it's like oh I got um, I like I got electric electric shock therapy. Like I was like, oh, yeah, I was I was surprised at the starting point. You know, like I thought you know she would get into that you know later in the book, but like she starts with that you know and she gets back to it later. But yeah, I yeah. was surprised. At that. I think yeah, I think it was. I I enjoyed it, and uh, as someone who like wishes that we talked more openly about mental health awareness. Um, mental health advocacy or I don't remember what it is um it's hard to decide what to say right yeah (laughs) because Pete you call it mental health like mental health advocacy or like mental illness advocacy and it's like those aren't quite right right but But we're not advocating for you to have mental illness exactly (laughs) yeah (laughs) mental wellness I don't know. Yeah, um, I think mental health awareness mental health is, awareness. Yeah. yeah, mental health awareness. So I know that she's an advocate, and I knew that before, but I never really realized how much. And like, and every, she references quite a lot of people throughout it who um, have had issues, who she's related to, and who she's encountered. And um, who was it that she, like, called her? That was, like, the funniest part of the book to me. Which actor was it? Uh, oh, Cary Grant. Cary yeah, Grant. Cary Grant. Oh, yeah. it was a great sequence of stories with Cary Grant. That was very funny. <laughs> I did not expect that. And, like, the whole book kind of was, I mean, the, the point of 
of Carrie Fisher's life was essentially like I was born to famous people and I was I was famous but because of that and that wasn't necessarily the greatest thing and that kind of came through to this in in a way but then like she just casually is like so like what does your mom do when she thinks that you're like in trouble she calls Carrie Grant and I'm just like huh I wish my mom could do that (laughs) (laughs) and if Carrie's not available she just calls Ava Gardner you know (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it, it was it was kind of nice. Um, I don't know. It made me both sad that she has since passed away, but also it gave me a little bit of closure. Yeah. Yeah, I felt similarly. Um, and SM, what were your expectations and thoughts? Well, I, I actually, I, I thought it was going to be longer. Like, I thought it was going to be, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. For some reason, I thought it was going to be, it was going to be more dense and, you know, have, you know, more stuff. It, it actually, it's a very quick read. It doesn't have a lot of words on a page. It gives me hope for when I one day hopefully we'll write a memoir that I don't have to fill up so many pages because as long as you have interesting things to say, you don't have to say a lot of it, you know? Slash are as um, famous as Carrie Fisher. <laughs> also that, but also, you know, like people, you know, I feel like people have, you know, limited attention spans for things that, you know, if you, as long as you, you know, you, co- you cover like the ground that you want to cover, you don't have to get into too much detail as long as you have your, you know, very vibrant anecdotes, which she definitely has. And I really appreciated her perspective on mental illness that she gets to later in the book about the distinction between an inconvenience and a problem and, like, how she is able to, you know, break down her life that, like, we would look at and, you know, we would think, well, how she has a lot of problems. And she's like, no, I have, you know, I have, exa- I have like, two and a half problems. I have my, my drug addiction, I have my bipolar... And I had, I woke up one time with a dead guy in my bed. And was, like, those are the problems, crazy. you know, everything else is just, everything else is just an inconvenience. <laughs> it's like, well, that's, that's a good perspective to have. Yeah, no, I, I really like that too. Um, yeah, I think she said three and a half problems and it, 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 it was very bracing. Like there were a lot of points where, you know, she was like, yeah, I guess people say that I have a hard life or had a hard life, you know, and you, you could tell that. That was not the way she viewed her life and not, you know, it, it, there there wasn't self-pity involved, you know. I the, think she also had an awareness of her, you know, of the position of privilege that she was born into and that, like, if she had had these problems, in a, you know, it, if she had been born to different people, she didn't say, like, you know, I wouldn't have had these problems. But I think there was a sense of, like of her knowing that if she'd had these problems in different circumstances, it would have been even more difficult for her to deal with them. And so she doesn't like, she doesn't complain about her circumstances and doesn't blame them for, um, for her problems, which I also found interesting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was also surprised at how many Jewish references there were in the book. Um, yeah. Also Ashkenazi Jewish references. Yeah. I, uh, while I was reading it, I was like, she mentions like, you don't name a, uh, a person after someone who is still alive. And that's a Jewish custom believes that you bring it back. It, it's bad luck to do that. And like my, my brain was automatically like, no, Ashkenazi Jewish custom. Got to make sure to mention that on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, party uh, and... Jewish customs, I believe, are different, and there's no, you know, bad karma associated with naming after a living person. Yes, but yeah, I mean, there because obviously, her, you know, her father Eddie Fisher was Jewish. Um, but one of my favorite parts was um, on what she said about uh, Paul Simon, how like her dad was a, a short Jewish singer, and then she ends up marrying Paul Simon, who is yeah. a short Jewish singer. You know. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> yeah. No, she she's really hilarious. And um, she says at one point, she's talking about, you know, the, the, the relationship between her family and Elizabeth Taylor and every everything that went on. Um, Elizabeth and Mike Todd have, have Liza Todd. Liza's a wonderful sculptress, and she meets and marries an art, her art professor, Professor Hap Tivey. Hap is short for happy, so he's not Jewish. I just like there were so many times when I burst out laughing reading this book, like when she's talking about uh, George Lucas, like having ILM change his facial expressions. 
<laughs> I mean, it's amazing. It's really amazing. It's she has a, she has a, um I guess the point I'm trying to make is that her her sense of timing was very interesting. I felt very caught off guard a lot of the time, you know, like she'll just her sentences just kind of go and and follow their own logic and then you wind up laughing at the end somehow. I always yeah. thought it was yeah. She gives like great details. Um, she'll just throw them in, you know, and if you're not paying attention, you miss it. But <laughs> yeah, what I else? like how she described the bipolar day parade. Uh, yeah. Like if they had a bipolar pride parade, you know, they would have floats, you know, and then like all the depressed, you know, people who were in the depressed stage of bipolar, they would just be on the floats, you know, you'd just roll them out, you know, they wouldn't have to do anything and they could just lie there. And then they would have all the manics doing all the all the uh, insanity uh, with laughing, talking, and shopping and making bad judgment calls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, while I was reading it, you know, I, I kind of have my, you know, my social justice goggles on of, like, you know, trying not to use words like like crazy, you know, in a derogatory way, and, like, here she is, you know, she's basically reclaiming the word crazy and, you know, using it, you know, to describe her own situation um and while i was reading this kind of you know the mental adjustment that i had to make because like i always try to to tone that down and here she's like amping it up um and so that's an interesting uh element that i found that like that she was so you know proudly owning her label of crazy and even when i wouldn't necessarily you know i wouldn't necessarily consider certain things to be crazy you know like when you know, if you have a disorder, you know, you might be behaving perfectly logically within your disorder, you know, and I don't necessarily consider that to be crazy, but everybody has their own different definitions of what constitutes crazy. Um, yeah, and, and I also, I liked her, her ability to um, support treatment, you know, I think that um, it was, I mean, I, you know, obviously this book is not that old, but I, I think that even today, you know, there there's tremendous stigma around I mean, you know, much less medication, but things like ECT, um, and which, by the way, another hilarious part was when she was listing all the people with um, alcoholism and bipolar disorder yes. and depression, and it was like, sure. <laughs> uh, right, <laughs> the country of Ireland has alcoholism. I just saw that, and I was just and like, okay. Korea has bipolar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's pretty amazing. Um, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I think that, you know, her, her, you know, she was completely uncompromising about, like, being honest about it and, and it not being something that she was, you know, not even ashamed of. And I, and I like that she admitted that she had the same kind of perspective or, or misunderstanding that, you know, most people do, which is that, like, oh, ECT is this terrifying, barbaric treatment that will take away all of your you know, memory and whatever. Um, and it is an interesting device because in the introduction, she does sort of say like, well, I sort of have to just rediscover my life and myself because of the ECT. Um, and I guess just a, just a PSA, not everybody has um, very bad, like memory loss. Um, it seems like hers might have been maybe a little bit worse, but it's a really interesting kind of introduction to the book because she's like, well, oh, I'm telling myself about myself as well as you. So I, I just, I found that whole perspective really, really fascinating. And, you know, yeah, and like you, you wonder what she, you know, what it was like while she was, you know, doing this and like, imagine, you know, being her, you know, her sounding boards, her friends, you know, while she's trying to sound out what she's going to put in the book and, you know, what, how she's going to do it and what she's going to say about it, you know, um, and you just, it puts you back in in that mindset a little bit. Yeah. Um, were you guys surprised at how little time she spent talking about Star Wars? No. A little bit. A little bit. Um, but she did include, you know, a lot of interesting things. And, like, when I was flipping back through the book, I'm like, hey, she actually did spend a significant chunk of time on Star Wars, you know? And, like, but when I was reading it, I was like, more Star Wars. I want more. <laughs> I mean, I guess I wasn't surprised because... It, it, it's kind of like one of those things like none of the stars of Star Wars necessarily like feel like it's their biggest moment of their life like Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher like none of them seem to like particularly be in love with Star Wars 
Well, Mark uh, Hamill is. Mark Hamill absolutely loves Star Wars. Mark he's, Hamill is a big fan. He's boy. a massive oh, geek. Yeah. I feel like I like associate him more with the Joker. Yeah, but he's really come back to like own the role and kind. Of, I mean, he he makes his bread and butter like exclusively in geek properties, and I think I think <laughs> he's been like a real kind of. I mean, he's been a regular you know attendee of fan conventions right. and stuff. I was like that. I was actually but, just reading his his uh, eulogy to Carrie Fisher yesterday, and I was like bawling over. It. Yeah. I was like, Why have I not seen this? It was really sweet, but. Like she, she never like loved it. Like she got the role because she was Carrie Fisher, not because she was just like some really great actress. And like she knows that. And so I was not really particularly surprised that she didn't. She was like, also talk really it. fabulous at the role. Yeah, but she doesn't sound like she has a good time. Like she was talking about like using boob tape because you don't have bras in space. No, and gaffer tape. <laughs> gaffer and, tape. And, and, like, I can't even imagine tape. how much that would hurt. It was must hurt so much and like how she didn't like her hairstyle and essentially it sounded like she was there and like the accent that was going in and out that she couldn't fix like it sounded like she didn't and particularly enjoy the experience of being Leia because other people were telling her what to do in a way that she didn't like and like based on her personality that came through the book like she's had enough of that like she's not letting anybody decide what she does anymore she's coming out here and talking about like all of her family's dirty laundry well not all of it but she did talk about like that gun incident in the cab and (laughs) that was crazy flush the weed Um, down the toilet (laughs) yeah and she like so it it just sounded like that chapter or was it more multiple chapters it didn't seem to me like that wasn't the point of this book and it wasn't the point of her life and she doesn't want that to be the point of her life the point of her life was her life yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when this book was written, which I'm just going to flip to the beginning and figure out when that exactly was. Um, 2008. Um, obviously, The Force Awakens was not a twinkle in anyone's eye yet. So I, you know, and obviously she did, you know, just very recently publish The Princess Diarist, which del- delves into, you know, her experiences on the set based on her diaries and also her recollections. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you, Tamar, but I, I thought that it was also very interesting how her 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 own psychology played into that perception of, like, how, how we understood it as well. Like, she straight out says, like, I was completely insecure. I, I thought I was too fat. I thought they were going to fire me. You know, I didn't tell George that I hated this hairstyle because I thought he was going to fire me, even though I thought he was basically giving me the hairstyle to make me look worse. And, you know, it, it was it was really interesting to see it through her lens of, you know, being extremely self-conscious as a human being and as a woman. And yeah, she was only 19 at the time, right? Yeah, I mean, it's insane. And then, you know, having that turn into, uh, obviously, you know, the the I guess act certainly the acting role that she's most known for but um what what also kept coming back to me was that she kept referring to herself as like ugly and like she realized she was never going to be as beautiful as Debbie Reynolds and I don't know what she's talking about I know me neither (laughs) like what are you (laughs) okay you I like I do because like think of like I don't know about you guys maybe you guys are super super confident but like you you're never self like you're never totally comfortable like yeah sure like when I look nice like I look nice but like I'm always going to be comparing myself and I always am going to be thinking like oh I could like maybe lose a little bit of weight or like oh maybe like I could change my hairstyle and look a little bit prettier or maybe I could do my eyeliner different we're really critical of ourselves as women and that's like what society like forces on us to some degree but also like she grew up it, it she has a whole long description of like her mother preparing to you know present herself well, I was gonna as say, like imagine star, you know and like she knows how much artificial stuff goes into it and she still is convinced that you know that she can't measure up well like imagine if your mom was literally one of the most beautiful women on the planet like debbie reynolds was insanely popular and and like yeah carrie fisher was but Leia, like, Star Wars wasn't supposed to really go anywhere, and, like, Leia was pretty, but she, the whole point of her wasn't necessarily that she was pretty, like, she also, like, kicked ass in Star Wars, like, there was also that role, and, like, she was also supposed to be very pretty, like, there was the whole, you know. I'm not saying she's not pretty, but (laughs) just saying, like, she, in her mind, I mean, the first thing Luke says about her is, she's beautiful. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, you know, when he opens the, her cell door, you know, he stands there staring at her like a doofwad. Yeah. <laughs> he was a doofwad. Uh, um, 
But yeah, I mean, I, just, I could totally understand it. Like the whole time she was really so super, she was super critical of herself, even like in, in more modern stories that she was, in more recent stories that she was telling. Like it doesn't, like she has a self-confidence issue and that comes through very clear. And I think she was very conscious. Or she was, I think she was very conscious of that while she was writing it, that like, I, like she was making fun of her, like the weight, like that they like made her lose weight when she was already ridiculously skinny and like it was kind of comical how they had her do like the buns on her face but like that was the whole purpose of the book the whole purpose of the book was like i am not necessarily the most perfect person in the room like i am (laughs) i am bipolar i am an alcoholic i am a drug addict i am lacking self-confidence and like it totally makes sense to me no i i I guess maybe that came out wrong like what i'm not i'm not saying that i don't understand her her self-consciousness I was I was very moved by that and I think it was very important for her to share that um it was more that I I I just kind of marveled I guess because I I do consider her as you know such a physically beautiful person and for her like her almost like complete unawareness slash dismissal of even the possibility that she might be physically beautiful um I I thought was really kind of remarkable you know what I mean um so. Yeah, I mean, I, I do see it, you know, around me all the time, you know, I, you know, pretty much any conversation that you have with a group of women about appearances, people talk about their insecurities and how, how you know, they're convinced that they're not as attractive as you, you know, as an outsider, you would look at them and you have no idea that they would have these insecurities. Yeah, sometimes I feel a bit out of place in some of those conversations, you know. And like I remember that scene in Mean Girls where like Lindsay Lohan's character is like, "We're supposed to pick on our bodies now. I don't know what to pick on," you know. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know, because like sometimes my self-esteem is really good, and like I, you know, don't pick myself apart the way that like we get, we are constantly told to, and you know, I feel lucky for that. Um, but so many people can't find that perspective and yeah and it obviously you know you can see in the extreme of where it can lead in uh in Carrie Fisher's case yeah yeah it's true and it it does make me wonder like uh, something that I found so really moving was the um you know every time she came back to talking about Billy Lord it was like very clear that that this girl was the light of her life and you know that you know that and and like she she attributed you know all of billy's physical beauty to to debbie and just like just so silly like yeah, I I the pictures and i'm like she's a spitting image of you i know right <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I mean i i i think it will be very interesting um hopefully billy lord will will write something when she gets older um because i i would be very interested to hear kind of her side of of this experience you know obviously a mother who was incredibly full of love and yet also had these real i don't know if demons would be the right thing to say but struggles or issues complications yeah (laughs) problems but not inconveniences um yeah but if billy decides you know that she's doesn't want anything to do with you know the public eye i definitely would not blame her after you see what's happened oh no of course not no 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 but um i mean she is an actress and she according to carrie in this book she said she wants to be a comic so i don't know maybe i also just wanted to ask you guys if you had any thoughts on rabbi willie rabbi willie billy um which one was rabbi willie rabbi willie remember him but was carrie's first crush um, oh right, I forgot about that. That was so funny. To be an Orthodox rabbi living in Israel with his wife was, and ten children. I was just wondering, like while I was reading it, I was like, I wonder, like, what he thinks. Like that's so. He, I wonder if he knows. I know. Like, like well, apparently they had lunch with Paul Simon back in the seventies. I mean, it's and that was also something I found fascinating. She and Paul Simon apparently went to Israel on their honeymoon, which is well, I mean, Paul Simon was very culturally Jewish, from what I'm gathering. Yeah, no, well, he's still I mean, alive, he but super, I mean, he's yeah, I, I mean, but like at this point, even you know, like he was you know very clearly attached to Judaism, and you know, even if he wasn't you know in any way affiliated or Orthodox or anything. Um, I guess Israel makes sense. Like, where else do people go on their honeymoons? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Somewhere nice. 
Israel's nice. No, Israel is wonderful. I guess I just, of course, I, I mean, I love Israel. I just yeah, got no, back. Yeah, you but, usually expect people to go to, like, the Caribbean or something. Right, exactly. Um, but I guess if you, you would consider Israel more of an exotic place, especially in the 70s. A lot of people from New York went to Israel in the 70s. It was no, like no, no. I, I know, I know. People went, but I'm saying like you didn't have 50 years of people going to Israel. You had like 20 years of people going to Israel. Yeah, but so. he also like went to Queens College and was an A pie, so I'm like not super surprised. Right. Yeah. But anyway, she agreed, <laughs> obviously, to go. <laughs> yeah. No. So I just, I just find this this image hilarious that like she's just sitting there like deliberately pitting. Rabbi Willie against Paul Simon in Jerusalem. <laughs> well, based on like what she said about Paul Simon, like maybe Rabbi Willie would. Like it, it, they didn't seem to have a healthy relationship. No, but well, she didn't I seem bitter like, about you know, it either. She, you know, she she didn't go into that much detail. You know, she picked out a few you know representative right, yeah. incidents. But um, I, I think you know Paul Simon wrote some nice things after um she passed, and obviously their relationship was complicated. But there was. Obviously, they kept coming back to each other. There was something there. Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. but definitely didn't seem. But healthy, yeah, but... not necessarily. You know, but... the relationship that I would advocate people to pursue. <laughs> well, yeah, but she also didn't. She didn't like that was the point. Like she didn't. She fit a lot into this relatively short. With it, not relatively. Like this is a short book. She fit so much into it. Uh, like she glossed over like so much, but you still got a, a taste of her thoughts about whatever she was discussing so like you got her feeling for her relationship with paul simon and how she felt about like billy's dad leaving her for another guy like there was no question that like yeah yeah i I expected a little more detail on that too yeah like i i I felt like that one may have been more because like her daughter would read this book yeah true or or just like she seemed like she seemed pretty like chill about it like okay like you love me for a man like f you but like whatever like (laughs) (laughs) she didn't like like paul simon there was clearly baggage there i mean clearly getting your husband like having your husband leave you for another guy baggage but it seemed like their relationship was less tumultuous in general than hers and paul simon so like okay good and wait you're leaving me like that's how she just like from what i read that's how i kind of felt it was more than like on again, off again, on again, off again. You're gonna write a song that makes me sound like a bitch, and off again. And oh wait, we're back. I love you. I hate you. I love you. I hate you. So yeah, I I, I think she did a really good job talking about in depth about certain things, and like other things were just like either too personal to her or not important for the book. But the book's purpose was future books. Yeah, or I don't know. The book's like was wishful drinking, and it was about, I guess, wishful thinking about her drug and alcohol addiction and everything else was kind of in there about how she's dealt with these things through that like haze of bipolarism and depression and anxiety and everything else she had yeah and she clearly wasn't she was trying not to let anything get too dark you know like she just you know she could have gone into more depth on you know plenty of things but i feel like there are certain things that like you can't go into more depth without it getting darker and that wasn't what she wanted with this book right wasn't it um it was a comedy routine or like a a dramedy it was was like a dramedy (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so any other thoughts on wishful drinking were there any moments that made you guys laugh out loud because i know i was i was reading it on friday night and i was like annoying my brother who was trying to yeah bipolar pride parade (laughs) (laughs) um i this was like really early on but when she was talking about how her friend died in her bed um (laughs) she was like i just pulled it up like another favorite question is were you naked i haven't been naked in 15 years i haven't even gone sleeveless in 20 and i I just thought and all i thought was wow like good for you for saying that because so many women like feel like so much effort to like age gracefully but like she's just out there like no I'm not comfortable in my body anymore and like that's fine like I don't need to wear sleeveless I don't need to be naked with anybody else like I just thought it was kind of interesting yeah yeah I agree I also um on that on like a similar note in terms of Carrie talking very candidly about her life and her physical appearance um she was on, I think it was the Today Show or like Diane Sawyer or something. There was an interview that she did um, leading up to The Force Awakens where she is just like, 
I mean, she left this very, very experienced interviewer just in appalled gales of laughter. Um, and she's just completely uncompromising. And of course, there's Gary sitting there with his tongue out the entire time. Um, Gary's her Gary. dog. Yeah. Know, but oh, the last tweets from him. Oh. While she... Yeah. There's nothing about this that isn't sad, but I think, I don't know, maybe to wrap up, I don't think Carrie would want us to read this book and think like, oh man, that's so sad. And then she died. Like, I feel like she would, she would consider that even, maybe not even her problem, but Billy's problem. I mean, not to, <laughs> not to, not to put words in her mouth. I'm just, you know, trying to self-comfort here. I feel like she would be like, mm, yeah, it happens. Like you said, the point of the book is to show what her life was, not about, you know, not about Star Wars, but just of her life and her her experiences and kind of a celebration of that and yeah and so to you know be all depressed and mournful about it kind of feels antithetical to the tone of the book yeah so yeah it it is a celebration of everything that she was yeah i agree i i I was always reluctant to read it because i always kind of i find it a little bit weird to get that close to somebody you admire you know especially when they're not pulling any punches (laughs) whatsoever um (laughs) But I'm really glad that that we read this book, and I I, I feel like I don't know. I guess close to Carrie Fisher feel is a, is a silly thing to say, but I I do feel um, very welcome, I guess, as a fan in her existence, and it makes me appreciate her and her humor even more. Um, yeah, I definitely I definitely feel like it brought me closer to her as an actress. Yeah, and I want to read the next book. Yeah, and okay. that one's heavy. I've read some excerpts of that one, and it is intense. She has some passages talking about, I mean, not to spoil it, but she had an affair with Harrison Ford, and, like, the things she yeah. wrote at, like, 19 were just breathtaking and devastating. I don't know if I want to read it. I liked I liked this version of Carrie, which is kind of shameful for me saying that's not that's why I don't want to read the other one, but I'll probably get around to reading it now that I like this one so much. Yeah, I mean, well, it's also, I think it will be interesting. Um, I, I'm not sure I'm going to read it right away either. But to think about the, like, her relationship to Star Wars, because I, I think that definitely changed. You know, she wrote she wrote this book before Star Wars was coming back, and then she it wrote The Princess Diarist and, and dug up all of her old diaries um, after Star Wars had, had experienced this amazing resurgence that we're experiencing now. So from that perspective, as somebody who you know, had again been told to lose quite a bit of weight for the role, um, but also got to experience, again, I think the appreciation that that people do have for it, and also revisiting that character, which, you know, she has said wasn't easy for her. Um, I think that that would be a very interesting thing to to read. Obviously, it's not the only reason to, to read it by any stretch of the imagination. You should appreciate Carrie Fisher as a person and a writer before, um, before her role as Princess Leia, but um, it was a significant part of her life, and I think that the the difference in, in those books would be interesting to parse at some point. And I also want to read her fiction. Yeah. Because I, I feel like, you know, there's more, there's more opportunity for her to, you know, be funny, and you get to see that side of her without having to um, feel like you're, you know, getting too close to her personally. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Cool. So that will, I think, wrap up our conversation on Wishful Drinking by Carrie Fisher. Um, I definitely, I think we all recommend it. I mean, not to speak for you guys, but I think, I think I'm going to speak for you guys and say that we all <laughs> recommend it. Yeah, so it's not, it's not a long read. And if you can, you know, if you have the, the fortitude to listen to, to Carrie read it uh, herself, then it's also an audiobook. By the way, Audible, <laughs> we could use a sponsor. Hint, hint, <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I'm currently listening to The yeah. Handmaiden. Also, ColourPop. ColourPop, if you're listening. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. If we got a makeup uh, sponsor, that would, like, make my day. Oh, forget it. Um, yeah, but so, yeah, if you want to sponsor us, definitely get in touch. Or just review us. Or review us, yeah. That, too. We got um, a review. We got a review on iTunes. We did. We and I've did, been but... trying. I've been trying to bribe more people into reviewing us. I offered them virtual donuts, but for some reason, people are I don't not want crazy. Bribes. <laughs> I want people like really liking us. <laughs> well, at this point, yeah, I well, think we can use some bribes because, because, like, 
they're not really a bribe if they're only a virtual bribe, right? Well, here's the thing. iTunes reviews are actually very, very important for the success of a show or the popularity of a show in its early days. Um, so at this point, I'm cool with, with bribing. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you guys want like a Twitter shout out, we can definitely do that. We'll definitely mention you on the podcast. That's really all the tactile shout stuff out, we Shout out do. to Rachel Sturman Lockerman who left us our review on iTunes. We yes. appreciate it very, very much. Yes. We we really, really appreciate it. And um yeah, really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's annoying. I listen to so many podcasts and there's like, review us on iTunes and I'm like, no, I just want to listen to your podcast and like don't often leave reviews myself, but like it would be materially helpful for us. So um but first, uh, before we get to the rest of our... Um, and don't just leave us reviews. Also tell us, like, what you want us to talk about, what topics of the day you guys are interested in hearing about. Feel free to tweet at us about those things also, but also review. Yeah, so I'll just do the social media now, since we're basically in that. Um, you can, if you want to... Um, give us more suggestions or, or talk to us at all or, or be like, why are you guys podcasting or whatever? I don't know what you would want to say, but uh, you can contact us via email. We are at nicejewishfangirls at gmail.com. Pretty simple. You can reach us on Twitter at jewishfangirls. You can find us on Facebook at, you know, Nice, nice Jewish, Jewish Fangirls. Fangirls. And you can always find us and our podcasts at uh, jewishcoffeehouse.com. Also, like, their Facebook page because they're awesome. And we'll teach you stuff about Judaism, which, I mean, who doesn't need to know more stuff about Judaism? I do. And we're clearly very educational here, but they will teach you more. Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um... So, yeah, and, and of course, like, let us know what you thought of Wishful Drinking if you read it. Let us know what books you guys have been reading. Is there a book that you guys would like us to review on the show? Definitely tell us. It doesn't have to be, you know, directly related to Jewish subjects. I didn't think that Wishful Drinking was going to be. Uh, and then it turned out to be a lot more Jewish than I anticipated, which was a lovely surprise. But, yeah, just, just, just get in touch with us, guys. Just do it. You know you want to. Talk to us. Um, and if you'd like to reach us and find us individually, um, you can find me on Twitter at ink as rain and you can find my writing at hypable.com. SM, where can we find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at floating spirals and on Facebook as SM Rosenberg and on Amazon. Uh, you can visit my author page. And Tamar, how about you? You can find my writing on billboard.com and a few other sites, uh, mostly billboard. And I did change my Twitter handle finally, so now I'm at Tamar Writes. So I've, I've solved that problem, and hopefully there will, there will be no reason why I need to change anytime soon. Well, I mean, if you change your last name from Wright. What? <laughs> I'm saying if you get married and need to change your last name from Wrights. If, well, if you're last. okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, oh, well... That wasn't even what it was. There were several layers to the joke I was going for, okay? Listen. I'm really not a funny person. (laughs) (laughs) So so on that note, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We will be back very soon. And live long and prosper, guys. And may the force be with you. Because why not? Why not?